Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. How are you all doing? It's another week. It's another episode. Another episode recorded in lockdown. Um, hopefully by the time this comes out, lockdown's easing off a little bit. Oh, I don't know. We've, we've, no one's got any answers at the moment, have they? Um, but what is quite a positive in this situation is lots of my friends that, um, happen to be musicians or podcasters, I've all got a little bit more time at home. And so I just thought I'd have a little ring round and I'd ring round some of the guests that have already guested on the podcast. So the other week you, you, you missed an episode or hopefully you heard an episode with uh, James from EMF. Um, and I'm doing the same today with um, my guest, which is my old buddy, Dan Lassac. So I've known Dan for 20 odd years and uh, Dan was one of the first ever guests on Off The Beaten Track and we obviously discussed all the songs that soundtrack Dan's creative journey. So... Um, since the launch of this podcast, Dan's obviously released his own podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network, Falling Forward. Um, we discussed this on the episode. And, and it's a catch-up with Dan, and, and I like to do these live gig specials where instead of songs that have soundtracked your creative journey, I want to talk about gigs. Gigs that you've played, gigs that you've attended, festivals and such, um, tours, tour supports, and, and just get a feel for, for that side of thing. And, and it was an opportunity for me to catch up with Dan again as well, which is, uh, which is always lovely. Um, before we get on to the um, episode, um, big shout-out to, to Dan's old partner in crime, Mr. Scroobius Pippikins, and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, also, can I suggest that if you haven't uh, checked out the first, ish, uh, first uh, episode with Dan, go and do that. And while you're having a little look around the archive, then go and check out some of the others because um, there's some cracking episodes. In just the last few weeks alone, I've had guests such as Andy Bell of Oasis and Ride. I've had LaRue. I've had Idols. Uh, I've had White Lies. Go and have a little rummage around in the in the back catalogue and see what you can find. And if that's not enough, then I also put out unique episodes each week uh, on a Patreon page. And there's video episodes on there as well. Loads of stuff. So you can find out about all of this by just going to offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. And uh, you can find out where you can get merch and all that sort of stuff. I'm doing some plugging. Sorry, I know, I know you just want to just get on with the episode. Um, and also, if um, you still haven't reached your quota of podcast listening and you want some others to listen to, if you've obviously exhausted the Distraction Pieces Network, um, why not go to podbiblemag.com? 
which is the magazine put together by myself, Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson. And it's your go-to guide for all things podcasts. Um, it also has a podcast as well um, that comes out every week, which is hosted by me, Adam and Pip. And we speak to all of your favourite podcasters about their podcast and the podcast that they listen to. Head over to the, uh, the website, uh, popbubblemag.com, read it online, see what you make in a mag. If you really want a, a print copy, then for the price of uh, a second-class stamp and an envelope, we'll post one out to you as well. So uh, I think I'm done with all the plug-in. Uh, should we get on with the episode? Please enjoy this live gigs special during lockdown with the super ace, Dan Lassac. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whippin. Okay, hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. I'll start that again. <clears throat> hello and welcome to off the beaten track podcast it's a live lockdown special and joining me today via the means of skype which he kindly um re-signed up to uh it'd been a redundant account for for many uh many years is uh is my old buddy dan lasac hello how are you doing you all right i'm good i'm good I'm just checking our hit record. I did definitely hit, yeah, it's ticking up. It's fine. Science. Good. It's all very complex. So, how you been finding lockdown, Dan? This is normal. This is just normal life, Stu. This is how it are you works. Say, are you saying you're quite, rec- you're, you're quite reclusive? Yeah, not deliberately. I just, I, I just didn't notice that I was quite reclusive. And, like, 
I don't know. Like, most of my mates have, like, lives and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, they're off doing things. Sure. And then, I, yeah, because I work from home. Yeah. And uh, the wife's out in the States. Yeah, this is just mm. normal. But I do miss yeah. humans. I miss yeah. talking to other humans, like, in, in person. I miss their smell. <laughs> well, um, before we get on with the episode, um, I just wanted to see, uh, say that uh, you uh, got back together with uh, with Pippi Kins last night and done Tim Burgess's um, listening party. How was that? That was good, actually. Yeah. Mm. Hang on. <clears throat> yeah, no, it was good. Like, I was a bit nervous because I don't think either of us have really listened to the Dan and Pip stuff in mm. in some years. So... Yeah, I was actually nervous that it was going to be shit. Like, genuinely, like, is is that album any good? You know? And we chose Repent, Repent, Repeat, the last one, because it's the one we both have the best sort of feeling towards, mm. best memories of. But at the same time, that could have been, because that was when we were at our peak, like, sold-out shows, massive tours. So maybe I was worried. I was genuinely worried that it was like... A false memory that the album sure. itself was actually decent, but no, it was good, and people were nice and stuff, and friendly, and all that. No one cried. Pip might That's have cried. Good. I don't know. He got offline pretty quick afterwards. I think he was. <laughs> yeah, something in his eye. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> but, yeah. um, well, you was um, one of the first guests on Off the Beaten Track. I believe you was in the the first. Definitely in the first 10, I think, when I, I set yeah. this podcast up. Um, and so, for people that haven't listened to that episode, go back and check that one out. Um, that's Dan talking about the songs that have soundtracked his creative journey to date. But um, I just reached out to Dan because I've been doing a few episodes with past guests, just wanting to reconnect and, and hang out. And it's just easier. The it's always, uh, They're going nice to say yes. They said yes once. They'll say yes exactly. again. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> um, and so I thought we'd do a live show special to talk about some of the gigs that, that, that Dan um, has been to and some of the gigs that Dan's played at. Um, and it's always nice to see you, Dan, because we've been friends for probably 25 years, 20 years? It's got to be 25, yeah. I used to come mm. to the Bullseye at, like, 14. 18, uh, yeah. Yeah, 18. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was 18 for a long time. About four years. Uh, yeah. Um, well, all right, Dan, well, look, what I want to know is, to start with, what was the first live show you remember going to? Like, what counts? Like, that's the thing. Like, what counts? Like, the very what, what? first ever, ever live gig with a band on a stage, I remember, was uh, New Year's Eve when I was, like, 11 or 12 at the Billet, later mm-hmm. the Rainbow's End in mm-hmm. Stamford, and it was Chaz and Dave. I mean, that's a great start. It's a good one, but, like... I didn't choose to be there. I was a kid. I just wanted the buffet and yeah. like someone to let me play darts, and they wouldn't let yeah. me play darts because I was. A I kid. mean, that night is that night the most manly thing you've ever done? Add cockles and mussels on a buffet, throw some arrows, <laughs> and watch Chas and Dave <laughs> in <much>. Stamford. <laughs> in Stamford, yeah. I play darts now and again. I like a bit of darts and a pie. I like pies. You know. <laughs> what can you remember about it, aside from the buffet? 
Mate, very little. Look, you know the uh, stupid Peter K gag with kids sliding about on their knees? Doing I remember skids. doing that a lot. Yeah. I remember that and being told off because yeah. I was being dis- disrespectful to Chaz and Dave. You know. But this was this was before they had that big kind of revival because they were always yeah. quite the rabbit rabbit guys. But I think people forget they were like proper musicians and stuff and they knew yeah. all the old standards and things. I went to see them not that long ago, like a decade ago in Newbury. Mm. And... Um, Oh, what, I would have been 30 at the time, and I was a youngling by a long way in that room. But they were doing all, like, uh, Vera Lynn and all this. It was all very pretty. And then they had a little break and came back and did all the sideboard song and all that. Yeah. Weird. With my mate Mike, I remember, who I only knew through listening to, like, Gabba. So it was just weird. It was a weird night. It was good, though. I like Chaz and Dave. Yeah. I think it's... Growing up in Essex, isn't it? I think you have to. Oh, I think it's a rite of passage. Um, Chaz Hodge's book is a, a fantastic read. Like he's uh, he's got some background. He really has some mm. of the things that he's done. Obviously, the, the famous Eminem sample as well um, was Chaz Hodge's. Yeah, the Labby Sifri um, sample. The on my name is. I think that's Labby Sifri. Yeah, which Chaz and Dave were on. As yeah, yeah, session. yeah. That might be a Wu Tang one actually. They're on yeah. a few. They're on a few classic yeah. hip hop records. Yeah, he was, was he the was he a session guy for was it Mickey Mouse? Was he the? I think it was in. Uh, that's where Chaz Ozzy was one of the sort of in yeah. house bands. I'm going to say yeah. I don't yeah. actually know, but I'm just going to say yeah. No, definitely Mickey Mouse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like, back at so, the uh, session studios. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, definitely. What was the first gig that you went to that that you went off your own accord? Like, feels weird, but maybe it was Honeylust. Oh, really? <laughs> I think so. I don't. I don't. It's really confusing, man. Because no, I know what it was. Um, <laughs> it's very different to Honeylust. It was Julian Cope and the Osric Tentacles in that London. Wow. In that London, it was my first ever gig in that London. With me and this kid Adam, when Adam King, his name was, and uh, we both wore tie dye. And we were like 15 or something. And it was um, some charity thing for Newbury Bypass against Newbury Bypass. They weren't trying to build a bypass. But yeah, it was a weird night. And uh, we got there. I think it was Kentish Town Forum. So um, obviously he's got a balcony. And Adam foolishly, when they said uh, standing or seating, chose seating. So it was just us two on this balcony looking down at like hundreds of people really like enjoying it and we were just up there 15 year old kids neither of one of us wanted to say idiot we should have gone downstairs yeah 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 you know but it was fun man it was fun i remember that i i like i don't think i really liked either julian cope or the osric tentacles but Mm. i like if i hear them i still have warm feelings you know sure Sure. I've done a little radio show yesterday. It was literally, I played a track called Beautiful Love by Julian Cope on it yesterday. It was the first time I'd listened to, mm. to Julian Cope in a long time. And uh, he's made some great records. Well, it's weird. I think it's weird. I think we forget just like how much music he wrote and how, I don't know, he was part of culture. But because of the patchouli oil and the hippy dippy stuff, I think we just write him off. 
You know, there's a there's a lot of bands like like the Levelers and stuff like that, where we just put them in a, a sort of smelly hippie box. But they influenced huge amounts of people. Like the bands like the Levelers and that. With the I cannot remember what that festival they had out by Marlborough, but they had a festival that ran for years and years. Mm. And these are huge cultural things, but because they don't get on that their radio. No, yeah. no, we don't think of them in that same way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as well, I generally start this podcast off when we talk about music with songs with the greatest ever intro, and, and to go back to Julian Cope and and his, you know, the, the early stuff with Teardrop Explodes, Reward has got one of the greatest intros to a record ever. Yeah. Like, the urgency and the, the call of arms at the beginning of that is fucking incredible. Um, Okay, so... For question two, Dan, what was the first live show that you performed at? This, I, I don't know. This sounds weird. Like, I rem- You must have been in a shit metal band at some point before you, you teamed up with Pip. Nah, like, literally, I think, I think my first ever live musical performance was in the um, Palmer's College, like, social room <laughs> with, with, like, Alex... This kid Alex and just like me with a delay pedal, just playing that too much, just too much, just making wall like thinking we were in Mogwai, but he liked the blue tones, sort of thing. Like weird. <laughs> you know so what? Fucking I, awful. I've been in like three bands in my life that were me wanting to be in Mogwai and everyone else wanting to be in the blue tones. It's weird. Always. I actually there was one w- w- that we did a gig and they dubbed us the Deacon Blue Tones, which was just beautiful. It was, I mean, why does that band not exist? I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there was that. But then, like, the first gig where I was actually, like, in a band was me and my mate Fraser did one gig together at um, Reading South Street. I don't even remember what we were called. I think we were either called Borealis, like the Aurora, you know, or uh, Lava <laughs> Experiments or something, which was his name. But, um, yeah, no, me and him, like, spent, like, a year writing songs together, working, rehearsing, um, and it was... Was he into the blue tones? No, thankfully not. No, this was a lot more, like, shoegazy, but with drum machines, you know? So a bit mm-hmm. bit trip-hop, but very shoegazy. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you still wanted to be in Mogwai, then? Always. Never never not wanted yeah. to be in Mogwai. <laughs> I spent the whole of me and Pip's career going, I wish I was in Mogwai. <laughs> or, or like, or New Order. Either of those will do. I want to be Peter Hook or uh, Stuart well, Braithwaite. I don't mind I which. mean, it was quite nice that um, your um, Tim Burgess listening party was on the same night as, as New Order's as well, I believe. I know, I know. They were supporting us, you know. Yeah. So originally <laughs> we were going to do it earlier in the week and it would have been Bell and Sebastian supporting us. But uh, I, felt, I felt New Order were a more fitting support. Really, give him a break, mate. Give him a break. Yeah, but yeah, no. Yeah. Me and me and Fraser did this did this one gig, and then um, his mum's husband, not his dad, his mum's husband, passed away, and he moved back to Scotland, which ended our band's career. It's very rude, very rude, you know. So the weird thing is, though, I wrote this bit of piano music for Fraser, like, and it was sort of 
a happy but nice piece of music, sort of inspired by loss and all that emotional stuff. And somehow along the line, when I started working with Pip, because I only started working with Pip like a end of that year, uh, I accidentally sent him Pip it, and Pip turned it into a sexy massage ballad, which was the bonus track on Angles, and I feel uncomfortable about it every time I think of it to this day. I feel very uncomfortable thinking of the the word Scroobius Pip and Sexy Massage. He did write a Sexy Massage song. Reading My Dreams, it was called. So creepy. So creepy. <laughs> so what was, what, was, what was the first gig that you and Pip done? Hmm. It was... So... I don't know what the venue's called now. On um, Tottenham Court Road, I think it's, it was called Bowery... Something for not Bowery Ballroom because that's in America, but yeah, the Bowery or something. But it wasn't called that, it was called like uh, it was a barfly venue right by yeah. center point, right underneath center point. And Pip had booked to a gig with Dan Sartain, mm-hmm. and Dan Sartain pulled out. So Pip asked me if I would jump on. And I said, yeah, all right, yeah. We'd, we'd written a couple of songs together. So he did Spoken Word with the Piano Man, Pete, Big Pete. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we did, like, two songs together, and then I did a little set. Uh, so that was the first time we did it. And that was to, like, nine people. That was definitely, there were no more than nine. And two of those were my friends, Mike and Alexa, so they don't count. When your friends come with you, like, literally walk through the door with you, they don't count. Uh, Yeah, so that was the first time. But, like, the first... I don't know what our very first, first gig was. Maybe it was the Barfly? Not the Barfly. What's it called? Um, Little Portland Street... Food up. Oh, um, uh, borderline. No, the not the social. The, Heavenly social. Is it? Oh, it's yeah. Yeah, it was. It's that, the social, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. With uh, like a John Kennedy one, but yeah, it's yeah. really hazy because it might have been. What was that club night in uh, Grays? What, what the surfer? The surfer. It might like that would have been maybe not the first, but we did the surfer, the fat surfer. Mm. Remember that. But yeah, vague, super vague. Like I'm, what's, I'm really. What's your first memory of like and and of Pip? And I say this. I say this without um, <laughs> wanting to sound too much like a wanker. But like the first gig you played, where you thought, "Wow, this is a this is a proper gig. This is what I kind of thought a proper gig would be." You know, you had a rider and there was a big crowd there. What was the first one where you thought, "Fucking hell, this is this is exciting." Do you know what I? I think like. It was things like Camden Crawl. Yeah. When we were doing um, those shows, and they were, like, huge. Like, we had... Uh, we played the Camden Underworld on one of those, and they over they let way too many people in. There was a big stage invasion and all that. And that was, that was probably only, like, four months after Thou Shout had happened on the radio. And it was like, wow, this is a real thing. This is an actual gig, oh, my God, sort of thing. And that kind of blew me away. But we had the delightful thing of having that gig. And I think we'd done the Barfly the day before, which was rammed for John Kennedy. And then 
we did a third gig on the Saturday night at uh, Bloomsbury Bowling Lane mm-hmm. for. They weren't our label at that point. They were, it was Sunday Best, but they were going to be our label. It was fucking empty. It was trash. And Pip was hammered. Pip was really drunk from the Underworld show, literally hours before. So he kept, like, faking um, that the mic wasn't working, but he just could not remember his lines. <laughs> he just like, every, every now and again, he would just stop and tap. It was, it was proper embarrassing. Brilliant. Yeah. It was good, though. Brilliant. Uh, I had fun. Oh, let's, let's, let's talk festivals. What was the first festival you went to? First festival I went uh, to? As, as, yeah, as, as, a, as, a, um, as a clubber, as a, as a, as a festival goer. Reading. Reading Festival, yeah. I went for one Saturday with uh, my cousin Billy and my cousin Sharon. Uh, the year New Order came back. Mm-hmm. So, like, 97? Yeah. And they came back and did... Um, it was just before Rob Gretton died. So they were right. coming back to do what they were calling recycled. So I think they were going to do a big kind of re-envisioning of the Joy Division staff and all that. And then Rob Gretton died and they just didn't. You know, they just went back away for a couple of years. But yeah, that was my first first festival and it was mind-blowing to me. It was like so busy, so many, so many people. So you must have been, what, 18, 19 then? Like, or maybe, maybe even older. 18. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't been to a festival before that, like ever. But like, I wasn't the most socially like linked. I think when you were younger, you only get to go to festivals if you were in a group that are going to go. You know, you're not going to go by yourself at sixteen or whatever. I mean, I remember you when you was that age. You was a popular lad. You was always had a oh, it's not that people, people. It's not that people didn't like me. It's that I didn't like them. Mm. Everyone was an arsehole, Stu. <laughs> Come on, mate. I was such a... I was a snob, mate. If they hadn't read Camus... <laughs> I hadn't read Camus at that point. You know what I mean? I was just... I, yeah, I didn't really... At school, I found it weird, because everyone liked Nirvana. And I was like, well, well yeah, not as good as Joy Division. Didn't yeah. Who are these Nirvana upstarts? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the pretending... I wasn't into Do you know what? You're, you're, you're in dangerous territory of sounding like a wanker there, but I can verify that I know you're not lying. I know when you was like 14, 15, you was, you lent me the best of Joy Division. I've still got Permanent. It. Yeah, you've still got permanent. Cheeky. Yep. I bought it again. I bought it against <laughs> you. I, I knew I was never getting it back. <laughs> I've um, cherished it, Dan. Don't worry. It's probably still got the HMV stickers on it or something. Um, no, it was just, I think, because I had older brothers... And I had uh, my cousin Billy. I looked up. I look up to my cousin Billy a lot, and he's a good. He's more than ten years older than me, so he was running around Basildon when I don't know, like Dave Garn was still working in Next. You know, mm. he's, he's that generation. So obviously, I got all of that Factory Records, all the Mute Records, sort of influence hoisted upon me. And my brother Sean just liked Happy Hardcore. And uh, my eldest brother, Neil, liked New Jack Swing. He liked Boys to Men and stuff, which are fine. But none of that really connected with me. So I think all my musical influence came from the generation before. And then, yeah, when people at school were talking about Pantera, I was like, I don't... It didn't connect with me in that same way. And I think... I do think Depeche Mode being from Basildon meant a lot. Like... Wait, these people can go play stadiums, and he used to work in next. That's crazy. 
that's that that made me understand that you could be in a band and have some success. Yeah. And they're still doing that. <laughs> I don't know how Dave Garr's not dead yet. So oh, impressive, man. <laughs> right, well done. He's embalmed himself. He's ready. So what was the first what's the first festival that you and Pitt played at? I'm so bad at this. I like literally do not know. You it, was there, you knob. It's got to be, it must have been Camden Crawl. It has to be Camden Crawl. That can be the only one, man. We, did you do like In the City and Great Escape as well? Never did In, in the City. We definitely did Great Escape, but mm. it wouldn't have been Great Escape because that's the month after Camden Crawl. Um, there was some city festival in uh, Middlesbrough, which I okay. cannot remember the name of. I think that might have been before it. But, okay. you know, like literally, I think we did the city festivals first. And then after that, it's, it was such a blur. We went from, you know, we did a few gigs in in like that December. Um, Pip had obviously got mates with Kate Nash and all the poetry lots. So we, yeah. we did a few of those gigs and then nothing. And then it just blew up. And um, all of a sudden we were doing... Everything like we, I was thinking about it. If you exclude, if you forget that we played the surfer, our first gig outside of London was Amsterdam, you know, like it just it just expanded at such an ex- exponential rate that that whole first year is such a confusing mess. Did that just rocket off the back of radio getting old of Thou Shout? Yeah, yeah, everything just went for it. You know, radio got hold of Thou Shout and were on it, and that that managed to carry through for three months, mm. which is unheard of, for us to then release the actual single of it, which carried us another, carried us all the way through the summer. And then we didn't release another single to the September. So from radio getting it that December, we didn't do a, no, a, a new thing until the September afterwards, and somehow that momentum carried through. And the album was another six, seven months after that. We were slow, but we were just so busy. We just kept getting offered shows. You know, we... First tour was, yeah, that September as well. That was your first proper tour? First proper tour, yeah. Everything before that was just, oh, where are we now? What are we doing? All right, we'll do that gig, we'll do that gig. Just yeah. saying yes to every gig. Um, we toured, uh, did a mini tour in Amsterdam, in Holland, sorry, in the Netherlands even. Holland's a part of the Netherlands. It is not the whole, as they will remind you. Um, we did like four dates there, like Rotterdam and Amsterdam, uh, Utrecht and stuff. And then, yeah. But this, I think it's really hard to pinpoint, like, to pull those memories back. But, like, last night when we were doing this Twitter listening party, someone showed me, uh, I'd signed, like, a, a wooden duck they'd put in front of me, and I'd signed it. And I remember signing it. I oh, just, really? Yeah, I distinctly remember signing it. I remember the person I signed it for. I, I, I have warm feelings about that moment. Could I tell you where it was or when it was? It's mad how the mind works, isn't it? Yeah, it's just completely gone. I can tell you what gutter I lost my virginity in, but I can't tell you to who. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I can actually. I do remember her name. I just don't remember when it was. Towngate, oh, yeah. mate. Around the back of the Towngate, innit? Classy people in Basildon. Oh, mate. Um, you can find that gutter on Google Maps. I've done it more than once on live streams while talking about it. Like, well, this is it right here. See this gutter? You know? <laughs> well, around the back of the Towngate, they've got like raised flower beds. Like, that okay. are, with brick, yep. they're built out like bricks, so you can get in between the building and the uh, flower bed, and it was just in there. It's good. It's a shame we didn't know this conversation was going to unfold to this, because it would have been nice to have soundtracked it with Pip's sexy massage. <laughs> we can't in that. <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast. If we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast, and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. You've gone out and done your first tours. Then, am I right? Do I remember this right? You then, tell me about the first time you went as uh, as a tour support because you, you've done an extensive dates with ronson am i right so yeah we did well yeah all right so was that your first tour support as an actual tour yes Mm. yeah i think before that we had done one-offs so we'd supported Mm. like basement jacks we did that Mm -hmm. (laughs) a room full of people at brixton academy going when a basement jack's on you know that, (laughs) that sort of thing and i think by that point we'd supported billy bragg as well at um the roundhouse Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was the first time we'd gone on a tour. How many bands can support Billy Bragg and Basement Jacks and and and, and their um, style lend it to both? It's fucking great. 
Yeah, it's rad, man. I always think that. Like, the when we did the Frank Turner tour support at Wembley Arena... Like, that was with Billy as well, wasn't it? Yeah, Billy, Beans on Toast, us, Frank Turner. That, we That's don't fit night. that bill in any way. Mm. But the audience loved it, you know. We yeah. we still get, to this day, people going, Oh, I saw you at uh, Wembley Arena. It was amazing. It's like... Cool. We don't get anyone say, "Oh, mate, I saw you at Plymouth Pavilion supporting Mark Ronson." No one yeah. mentions that. But uh, no, that was really good. That was actually a lot of fun because it was, I, the scale of the production. Like I, Ronson could not have made money on that tour, even if he sold every ticket twice. He was like, "Oh, we, I want a horn section. Who's the best horn section?" You know, they he would just was that the Haggis Horns. I think it was the Haggis Horns and the string section was the Demon Strings. They weren't cheap. They were getting paid more than we were. I'll tell you that. But yeah, they Who just... Was, it? was, that the, what, the t- was that the tour where like, there was some serious... Was, was all the vocalists going out on that tour as well? All the vocalists, yeah. So you name them, they turned up, you know. Uh, the lads, uh, Adele jumped up on the London shows, which were Hammersmith Apollo, mm-hmm. um... And yeah, just all around the country was various, various of the singers from that album. Obviously, that album was a big collaboration album. Mm. Um, but it was really funny actually because we were booked to be main support, so we were getting paid accordingly, like two bags of crisps instead of one bag of crisps, sort of thing. And uh, this, the Rumble strips were opening. And they, uh, their management had kicked up a stink, and we were like, we'll go first. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just happy to get out of the house. Yeah. And uh, so they, like, they were touring, they were like four or five of them, and their crew and all that. And it was like, hang on, you're getting like 50 quid to do this, and you're losing 500 quid a show to try to convince Mark Ronson fans to buy your Rumble Strips record. Why are you doing that? Just send the singer along with an acoustic. That'll be actually be better for your careers, guys. But yeah, while we were rocking it up, hired out Jim's van for 70 quid a day. That included <laughs> Jim. Keep it simple. <laughs> Jim included. Um, is there a band that whenever they tour, you still, you still go and watch them? I've, I've seen New Order a bunch, like when I've had chances and stuff. But, um, and obviously, like, our friends, like B. Dolan, Sage Francis, I will go to see them every possible chance I get. Mm. Not just because they're mates, not because I've been at their weddings and stuff, but because they're good. They're like talented performers and they have, I think maybe being British, like it's nice to just see an American rapper with a bit of our sense of humour, but a bit of that American grind to sure. it, you know? Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, like, have- I think the real answer is a lot of the bands that I would always see are the ones who don't gig very often. Like, I must have seen Godspeed You Black Emperor five times in 20 years, but that's actually yeah. the most anyone could have seen them in the last 20 years, sort of thing, you know? So, in regards to... Well, let's, let, let's talk a, a, again about the sort of touring and stuff. Were there, were there any bands that when you tour, either supporting them or taking them out on tour with you. Like, who, who were the bands that you enjoyed sort of hanging out with? No, I hate them all. Uh, sure, sure. Just, yeah, genuinely. No, um, 
like, honestly, I always felt really awkward around the other bands. Like, the only time I genuinely enjoyed having a support was when me and Pip took uh, Sarah Williams-White, who's a singer from that London, uh, when we took her on tour, and she did a set, and then she'd be on stage with us. Because she was nice, and there was no, like, pretension, and she wasn't trying to, like, sell records to us, and Mm. and, and all that thing. I don't know. I sometimes just felt a bit like bands of their uh, big kind of you got to put on that you're a success all the time. Mm. And it's like, well, no, you don't have to, because we're all sitting in shitty vans mm. on, on the M1, driving to a gig where only 25 people are going to be there. You know, come on, just chill. Like, But touring with Dolan as well, bringing Dolan on tour, I think partially because he's lovely. I, I love him to bits, but but partially because it blew minds. Like The audience were just like... This giant American dude shouting at us dressed as evil can evil, you know, it was just amazing. So yeah, it's all of this. This this one's harder for me than the songs one because the songs one I can I can like think about and all that. Yeah. But this has been like I drew a blank on a lot of the questions because because it is so blurry. Like a thousand shows in seven years, plus all the shows I've been to in my life, you know, it's just like, what? I don't, you know, if I didn't get a hand job in the toilets, why would I remember it? Sure. <laughs> Off pit. <laughs> <laughs> while he sings his massage song. <laughs> well, there's a soundbite, John Harris. Um, okay. Um, if you could go back and do it all again, Oh what yeah, would you do, I'd, I'd be the singer. Do, um, <laughs> um, would you do it any different? If I, if I, do you know what? If I went, the the real answer to that is the thing I would do different. And I think this is more on like a whole career thing rather than just the touring thing. Mm-hmm. The touring thing I loved. I would have just done more shows. You know, mm-hmm. I would have just. I would want to do two thousand shows, not one. I, I loved them. What, 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 what did you love about that? It's Did you just, like the attention? You, are you a bit of a show-off? It's, no, nah, it's not that. But it's a buzz. It's like, you get it when you DJ and you drop one of those, I don't know, pop songs. Like, that Arctic Monkeys or, or them, you know, or the, the Prodigy. Those bands that they like right. at the brush, you know. Yeah. The Cure or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you get it. You know, you drop a song and the audience goes off. Well, imagine dropping a song that you wrote and the audience going off. That's like a double whammy of like, I've done something right here. And that weird electricity that a crowd builds, you know, is so much fun. Do you miss Uh, that? Yeah. Every day, every day. Like I said it, I said it last night. I miss it like properly every day, but I'm not him anymore. Like Dan Lasak isn't, that's just the name of a brand from seven yeah. years ago. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't work at Dan Lasak anymore in sure. a, in a weird sense. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoy making really contemplative ambient stuff these days. So mm. like I couldn't go back and do that sort of rocker party stuff, yeah. but that, that buzz of gigging is, is definitely something that I'm glad I got to experience. Yeah. But the, 
thing I'm this is a bit of an Americanism but I wish I was more present in my career like I think everyone says that Dan I, I really do I don't think you're on your own there mate I think this, that's quite a, a common thing yeah there's just a bunch of things like, like opportunities that came up that I got scared of or like I didn't I, I remember I remember randomly Marcus Brigstock was a fan of me and Pip and obviously mutually we were fans of him and he invited us to his birthday party just a little his 40th in a pub and I, I was too scared just too scared to go, man. I was nervous. I didn't feel like... I, I felt fat. I, I didn't know what to wear. All the things that you could put in your way. Uh, I, and like those little opportunities that Pip grasped. Pip, if someone offered Pip the opportunity to do anything that sounded vaguely fun, he just grabbed it. And not in a, like a this is going to be good for my career way, but in a, this is going to be good for me way. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, I do regret those things. I regret not being in the videos. I wish I'd been in the videos more. Like Mm -hmm. I wish I'd kind of forced myself in a little more. It's difficult because you got the singer on screen all the time, but yeah, but, but you would have done what you thought was right at the time. You know, hindsight's obviously a, a you know, a yeah. funny old thing. I, like, the thing is, like, I didn't really grasp it until after Dan and Pip finished, but I was still dealing with a lot of mental health stuff that I hadn't, yeah. you know. Uh, for all my bravado and braggadocio, I was very nervous of new people and stuff, you know, all the time. Like, I remember we were playing Coco. And it was, I think it was maybe second album time. And it might have been final tours. No, it was second album time. And uh, Simon Pegg was standing side stage. And I caught a glimpse out the corner of his eye. The first thing I did was just smash my drink over. Like, I'm performing. <laughs> we got 1,400 people in the room there. And the first thing I just, like, just, could, I would react quite viscerally to these situations. Like, I don't know. I was always very... Yeah, no, I just just think I, I do regret missing out on some of the fun. Yeah, at the same I, time, we had vast amounts of fun. Like, I did sure. loads of cool stuff. I, I think it's, you know, you, you always think, uh, you know, uh, personally, when I look back at, you know, what I had done in bands, you know, I was always worrying about what might be next and and what what you know what could make this better and not actually ever being in the moment mm. whereas everyone else in my band didn't give a shit about all of that we're just having the time of their life yeah. and i think that that's just naturally you know if you're someone that you know is quite focused and organized and and, and ambitious then you can't help but not think of like what what could be next or what could be around the corner and and yeah, sometimes it's nice to just be completely carefree and just think. Oh, yeah, f- and even if it. you're not, even if you're not thinking about what comes next, even if you're just thinking about, I like this feeling. How do I keep hold of this? You know, yeah. can lead you to not not really feel it. You know, it's weird. Yeah, but uh, that said, like like actually, yeah, when we went to uh, Tokyo, we played Fuji Rocks Festival, and um, they lost our luggage. 
So I we just long fly. I was covered in sweat. It was really hot. I was that was my when I got my fattest. I was up to like seventeen and a half stone and stuff. So I was, I was feeling like a gross human being. And uh, we like got off the plane, met our labour over there. They had taken us to Wendy's for breakfast because Pip wanted Wendy's in Japan. Pip, we're in Japan. Come on. Uh, and then yeah, I lost. We were there for four days. One day was travel to the festival, one day was the festival. So we basically had one day to do anything in Tokyo, and I spent it asleep. And I, I am so annoyed at myself to this day, like because I felt unclean and I didn't want to walk around Tokyo like a big horrible sweaty mess and all this. I spent it asleep, and I'm so annoyed because I'm never going to get to go back to Tokyo, you know. So yeah. That sort of stuff. Those little things like that. All those regrets. But I yeah, think but it's good. If you regret stuff, at least you had the opportunity to do stuff. Definitely. And as you said, if there's anxiety involved in that, that will, that, you know, that will take control of a lot of them situations and we'll, we'll, we'll put them barriers in place. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Then, okay. Um, so with gigs. Recording, oh, yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> so we, we, with gigs and recording and releasing like what changes have you seen in the industry and in how you approach making music from when you first started out you know uh in Lasak and pip to, to what you're doing now so like it's actually not as big a change as as you would think because we came about we started in like 2006 so we not long before spotify launched we were we were at that bit where companies realised that social media, whether it be MySpace or YouTube, we often get called a MySpace band, but the truth of it is we blew up because of YouTube, because mm. of the Thou Shout video that Pip and Nick Froome put together, and it got put on the front page for weeks. It was on front page, so we just blew up because of that, you know. And this I is when I never knew that. Yeah. And this is when, like, a million views on YouTube was like, holy shit, you know. Yeah. Um, so we were at that bit. So obviously social media is still really important now. And but and live is still the way to make money. Like, we, we were at that bit where you could still make some money from, the, from music in the music industry. But so it's not changed quite... As obviously, it's very subtle. But I think the thing that's changed is the bands that are doing well, especially if they're not making popular music, are the ones who embrace the fact that you have to be brazen. You know, when we're going to talk about Pip again, but when Pip's selling sunglasses on Instagram, that's what you have to be willing to do to to sustain yourself but you don't have to be an arsehole about it. And they're the bands who do well. Like, look, buy my stuff and I'll make more stuff. People are fine. It's just that you do sometimes get bands who are doing the, if you don't buy our stuff, we it's your fault that we're not popular yeah. sort of stuff, which is annoying. But, yeah, I don't think it's changed dramatically. I think the access thing, like anyone can very cheaply now record an album um, and get it onto Spotify or whatever without... Like, if you've got an iPad, 
already you could do a full album recording you know like it, you can record bands and stuff and mix and master all within yeah. like a handheld computer at this point so it's become quite democratized which means that yes more people have this opportunity to get their music out there that doesn't mean more people have the opportunity to get heard because there's, sure. there's only so much time in a day you can't listen to every band you know earlier today i asked people to send me bandcamp links because bandcamp are doing their free that's right waving their revenue today and i there's no way i'm going to get through all those links and there's only like 30 you know you imagine the amount of music that comes out every single day you just can't can't cope with it so our reliance on making it easier you know with spotify the real thing with spotify is you're not you're not paying Spotify for the music you listen to. And they're not paying the artists for that music. But what you're paying them for is the service of organising music for you. Here you go. We're going to friction-free slide you songs you might like, you know, without you having to waste an hour going, what should I listen to? I've made myself late for podcast recordings by standing in front of the CD rack going, what should I put in the car today? And stand there for 20 minutes going... (laughs) Oh, I haven't heard that. Either. Should I let, should, just take them all, Dan? Just take them all. Start driving. And ultimately, listen to Mogwai. Yeah. Or what was uh, your favourite? Or Nine Inch Nails for uh, Downward Spiral. That. Oh. It's just I can't not listen to that record. I must have listened that, to that thousands of times at this point. Such what a record. Favourite venue. Favourite venue. Uh, I always say Leeds Brudenell Social Club. Which is an old working man's club up in uh, Headingley. Um, so it's in like a fairly um, residential area. Lots of old people wandering around. But then it's right by the uni as well. So loads of blue haired students. And it's still a working men's club. But they, the son of the owner started putting on gigs. And now it's like a two room two venue route still two room venue but with the bar still with the old men in flat caps and uh dogs on a string type thing yet they'll they'll have like arab strap in there or me and pip or you know it's really good it's a nice place it's like phoenix nights but with a good pa you know yeah but yeah that nice. I, I always that's the place for me Unlike Nathan, who runs it, is a nice dude. You know, he's good and he's honest. And it's a, it, you can be a bit cynical about the industry sometimes. And when you meet, like, good, honest people, it's like, oh, oh, wow, you're delightful. And the never rider trust, was always Never good. trust a promoter, then. Yeah, never, mate, never. But, um, yeah, like, there's venues like that all over, though. There's a place in... Utrecht called Echo, which has that vibe, like family-run sort of thing, and uh, you know, there's loads of them around the country. It's just I think Leeds one connects more because when we walked, got there the first day, I was like, "Oi, this is going to be awful! Look at this! Where's Peter Kay?" And then it was amazing. Well, let's hope that all them venues come out the other side of quarantine in, yeah. uh, intact and continue to, yeah, uh, fingers continue crossed, to man. do what they do. Last question, Dan Lassac. 
Thank God, hey? Thank God, guys. Whew. If you could put on your dream lineup, Festival Log Gig, five bands, and you could go and watch that gig, who would you put on? Like, that's a difficult one. Cause like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. All right, okay. So, this, we're going to open. <laughs> we're going to open. Oh, right, you've got your order as well. We'll, we'll have to do it in order. I won't be All able right. to do it any other okay. way. Nice, like, I'm liking this. You know. So, <laughs> although he was a raging misogynist and he was an absolute nightmare, I want to open with John Martin just doing Solid Air, that album. It's a beautiful album. It's all about drugs and sex, but his voice is so pretty and folksy. So he's on first. Yeah, he's doing his thing. Um, and then... We're gonna. We need to change up the pace a little. Where Where are you? You side of stage, or you? You. I'm in the, the crowd. crowd. I'm in the crowd, mate. I'm in the crowd. Uh, but then we're gonna just segue straight into uh, a certain ratio because I like samba jazz myself. I do like samba jazz on Factory Records. A certain ratio, but doing a mini set. I don't want too much. They're a par- palate cleanser band to then pivot. To New Order. New Order are going to come on. Um, greatest hit set. You know, although I'd like them to do Power Corruption Lies, I want a cro- career spanning greatest hits. New Order, big buzz. Oh, so that's three bands. With Hooky. Uh, let's, let's have Hooky for a bit, but then bring in that lad from Marion or Bad Lieutenant or whatever. Yeah. And let's have them both because he's a good bassist. I like him. <laughs> Can I can I throw a little thing to add to this gig? Go on. Can I add my little bit? Can we bring on Mar and Tennant and they bust out getting away with it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can have we can have side bands. Oh, if we're going to do that, we might as well let Monaco rock up and do. Um, what was that song? What do you What, what, what do you me? want from me? That one. Did let- you ever hear the single after that called Shine? Uh, I bought it. I bought it. Shine. It's, it's like right there. Shine. I don't remember. Is, it. Shine is. A, it should have been a New Order single. It's pure New Order. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. They were. It, it was a weird band, Monaco. If if you don't know who we're talking about, it's Peter Hook's pop side project. With a singer uh, called Potsy, wasn't it? I think his Potsy name was Potsy or something. Yeah. yeah. And he was a good singer. He, he mm. worked really well. But like, there was a bit of pulp in there as well, which I quite liked. But. It was just that thing of, like, Peter Rook not letting go, you know, when he still hasn't. But that's life. Uh, so coming out of New Order... Are uh, they playing Joy Division songs in this set? Oh, yeah, they'll play... They'll probably play Isolation. They've always been playing Isolation. But um, they'll end... They'll end on the uh, atmosphere thing they do with the big screens and stuff, which they did with, at Festival. With the Corbin video, with the... With the video, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah, which is beautiful. And yep. then we're going to keep going from there. Aphex Twin. But he's going to start in the uh, Ambient Works era. So he's coming out of New Order and we're all a bit whew, exhilarated. He's going to come in slow and then build up. Uh? Did you redo? Did you redo? Yeah, keep it, keep it simple at first and then go all thingy with the lasers and the drones yeah. flying around. Um, and then to close, Mogwai. Just have Mogwai. Or Godspeed, you Black Emperor. I could not decide. I think Godspeed wouldn't quite fit. Mogwai could come in hard straight away, which is something Godspeed can't do. 
Godspeed have to go like, right, we're going to start with one viola. Yeah. For an hour. Then we're going to add a cello for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> and by the end of this one song that takes three days, it's going yeah. to be massive. I love Godspeed. They yeah, are so actually my favourite band, but they're not I an mean, easy I, listen. I've got to be honest, Dennis. It's a fucking stellar lineup you've put together there, mate. I think it'll work. I think yeah. it'll work. It only yeah. cost you, you think about it money wise, it only cost you like half a million to do that lineup. What do you think? Maybe. I How much check and new order are these days? I'm not sure. I mean, I've, I've got a ticket that I'm hoping still going to be happening, but I can't see me getting to see him at the O2 in November. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think it surprised. might. It might. That's you're in the realms of of possibility because that's mm. people are talking about flights, international flights being back up by sort of September time. Mm. Rumors and all that. So maybe I don't know though, man. I just want to get back to America so I can see my wife. Yeah, so that's harsh, man. See her breasts. <laughs> you was being all nice, and you had to spoil it, didn't you? Oh, dear. I was, I was going to talk about pixelation and stuff then, but oh, um, I only ever see a pixelated vagina these days. <laughs> <sighs> um, so, since you've last been on this podcast, you've joined the network with your own podcast. I have, yeah. I did did some talking to people. And all that. It's been all right, actually. That's been um, pretty... I don't know. I always feel like some sort of sham. Like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? Like, I I feel like, why would you want to come on my podcast? And then people say, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. It looks like fun. It's like, really? Have have you listened to this? You know. But no, it's really good. I really enjoyed the... It, I, I think when I started it, I thought it was going to be a little more highbrow than it is. So I thought it was going to be intellectual conversation about the creative process and all that. And then I realised it was actually... Presented by you. Presented by me, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, like, as soon as I recorded the first one, it became... It was quite interesting. Right? It was with a game developer called Mike Bithell, who Pips just worked with, actually, just recently. They've done a radio drama together. Mm. Um, but it was more like two creators just talking about... A bit about, like, the process and the business of making things. But also, it was that shared, like... Imposter syndrome comes up every two episodes and all that, because we all feel it. Like, everyone who puts things out feels that that same way that maybe they I, don't deserve I, it or whatever. I, I spoke about this yesterday to someone else and I, 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 and I can't help but think, I don't know if it's, if you're working class and from Essex and you, you, you involve yourself in the creative industries. Yeah. You can't, I, 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 you know, I, I've always had it. You know, yeah, it's think. not like, it's still, my dad still doesn't, my mum and dad went to one Dan and Pip gig in a thousand. Um, my dad's never listened to the podcast. Like, I get to this day, the, when are you going to get a real job? You know, that still to this very day. And it, it's just because in his mind, growing up, like in Corringham, that isn't a real job. That's not a real thing. You know, 
like building ships is a real thing, yeah. fixing cars and all that. And I do get it, and I do think it adds to it. Like it, it does seem really weird when you grow up in Essex, especially like some of the jobs I did, like working in Basildon Hospital laundry and all that. You, you dare to dream not to be there, but the only people who get to do it are the ones who actually let themselves dream, take the risk. Yep. Do Definitely. the thing. Now, you chance that you're going to fail. Like, the majority of people aren't ever going to do more than a few gigs around the town or whatever. But yeah. you don't know if you don't try. Maybe you're actually good. You know? I'm still trying to work out if I'm good at podcasting. It's only 33 episodes. I'm still new. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think you're smashing it, Dan. I'm enjoying uh, it. I definitely enjoy it. The whole, I like you. You've obviously fucking love the podcast thing. You got three of them now. Oh God, I'm. I've just yeah. I'm. I'm doing uh, way too many podcasts, but um, but it's just because it's nice to chat mm. and uh, and and yeah. I just it's just something that um, age doesn't affect it. Yeah. I can't be a, I can't be in a lot like, of rock star anymore. <laughs> and uh and I'm 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 the elderly DJ in the nightclub now. And uh whereas podcasts no one can see me, so that's all yeah. right. But I like that. I think I think it's a funny thing as well, like with the Essex thing. We uh, like we have that boys don't cry bloke thing. Like everyone in the UK has it, but I think it's very it's put into like proper sharp relief in Essex. Yet if you go watch West Ham with a, a group of lads, someone's going to cry. Someone's going, oh, mate, that was fucking beautiful. See that goal? And it's like, we, it's weird how we share our emotions without realising we're doing it. And conversation's a big part of that. I think I've had some of the most kind of revealing conversations with blokes in pubs without deliberately meaning to do it you know like while you're gently ribbing each other and that someone will someone will share a little nugget a little nugget of truth and that's all conversations are for isn't they just to for nuggets oh i miss nuggets do you miss nuggets uh, well I, I still eat meat like i don't mind it oh no i've got no access to nuggets oh right unless i went i could buy some frozen nuggets i suppose yeah that doesn't appeal I want someone to make my nuggets for me. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much, Dan Lassac. I think I forgot to thank him at the beginning. Not Dan. I've thanked him already. I want to thank 76 because 76 had to um, paste this together to make it sound seamless. So how this works is Dan records his audio completely separate, uh, as do I. Um, we have like our laptops and we've got our headphones on and we're chatting, but we've also got microphones going into something else to record our, uh, our standalone vocals. And then 76 has to kind of glue them together so they sound seamless. And that way, rather than doing them kind of Skype episodes, which can be a bit glitchy and can sometimes have a little delay, I'm trying to sort of enable it to, to sound as close to you know, a studio-style recording where we're sitting face-to-face um, as possible. And uh, and I think uh, 76 has done a, a smashing job there. So huge thanks to him. Um, biggest thanks of all go to you, lovely lot, for listening. Um, I'll be back next week. Like I said at the beginning, if you um, need another podcast, go and have a look in the archive. Other than that, 
go and get involved in Patreon because there's over 100 episodes on there that have never been released to the public as well. Um, stay safe and, uh, and I'll see you very soon. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, stew with him. 